Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Katya and Maurice Croft love two things, each other and volcanoes. For two decades, the daring French volcanologist couple roamed the planet chasing eruption and documenting their discoveries. I don't know how much more I want to say. I don't. I think I've said enough. The film is called Fire of Love, and we're joined today by the director of Fire of Love, and that would be Sarah Dosa. Sarah, welcome to Film School Radio. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Mike. It's, it's such a joy to be here. And as I shared with you, this story is just unbelievable. When I heard it, I just thought, I, however, I'll move heaven and earth to talk to whoever made this movie because it is such a fantastical and fantastic story. How did you find out about this? Um, our team first learned about the story of Katya and Reese Craft when we were actually researching for the last film we made together, um, which is a film called The Seer and the Unseen. Um, that's a documentary that tells the story of an Icelandic woman who is actually in communication with spirits of nature. Iceland is a volcanic island, and we wanted some archives of volcanoes to come into that story. And so we started researching Volcano Archives Iceland, and that's when we first stumbled across uh, Katya and Marie's craft. However, the more we learned about them as characters, the more we fell in love with them. Um, we, we learned that they shot hundreds of hours of footage on 16 millimeter, largely. Um, but also we learned about their philosophy, their uh, way of, of living life, their playful humor, um, as well as their utter romance that they had with volcanoes, not just each other. And so we thought, wow, this is the making of, of quite a quite a phenomenal film. Um, and for me personally, as a director, I'm always drawn, drawn into stories that explore the human relationship with non-human nature, but do so through really unexpected and multifaceted characters and and. Katya and Maurice were just like the, the most wonderful examples of, of that type of person and, and displaying that kind of story through, through how they lived their life. So getting to work with them and their footage was just such a gift and a, and a joy. Well, before we get into the story, and I can't wait to talk about them and their adventures and all the things that they accomplished in their field of interest, when did you start going through the tape? I mean, sort of the process, the pre-production process, if you will, and understanding this footage is spectacular. It's it's IMAX quality, or if they generated it in on a computer, it couldn't be any better than this in terms of the the spectacle of it. Um, I, I, I'm so a little bit about looking at the footage, getting securing the rights, whatever that might be, and then all that kind of stuff because that had to be a another documentary in a sense to, find, to get all of that too. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, once we decided that we wanted to, to explore making this film, um, we had the great fortune of working with some fantastic partners in to Sandbox Films um, who came on to, to support the film financially and were our executive producers. Um, that was Jessica Harrop and Greg Boosted. And with them on board, our uh, one of our producers, Ina Fitchman, reached out to the archival house called Image Est, which is in Nancy, France, that was taking care of catching Maurice's archive. Um, Bertrand Kraft, Maurice's brother, had entrusted it to Image Est, and they were looking after it for, for years. Um, but this was during the pandemic. Uh, we really first got started in July 2020, and then 
into development through the fall and, and winter of 2021. And so we couldn't travel. I so longed to, to go to France myself to, to speak with people in person who knew them and loved them and to go to the archival house to pour through the, the actual celluloid. But we couldn't do that um, since we're all in lockdown. And luckily, Maj Est, the archival house, was very generous and, and they decided to digitize the entire collection for us. About 20 hours had been digitized before, but the other 180 hours or so um, had not yet been. And so they, they did so just beautifully and would send us batches usually of about like, you know, 10, 20 hours at a time uh, over the course of about four months. And getting to, to meet that imagery was just mind boggling with the, the beauty and the spectacle of it, um, not just because of the phenomena that it captured, but we could perceive just how close Katya and Maurice were getting to, to the eruptive phenomena. So it was really staggering for us uh, early on in the process. Yeah, and what Sarah is saying, it's hard to overstate just how spectacular this is. And just as you said, with her in frame, there's a couple, there's one scene and it's the poster, if you will, of that scene of her. I don't even know what volcano was at. You cannot imagine a human being standing there that close to the fire pits of hell. I mean, whatever you, whatever your imagery is for the most incendiary kind of thing you would ever be around, that's what it looks like. That, that show was taken at the Krafla volcano in Iceland, uh, I believe in 1985. And when we first saw that shot, we are, we were just slack shot, you know, just in total awe of like how that was Katya's specific image of Katya in an illuminized suit with a, thermo, a special thermometer getting as close to the crater as possible. And, and Maurice is, uh, you know, on a long lens and is zooming in and out, but you could really see like the lava, the molten lava splatting next to Katya. Um, and she's staying, she's steadfast. And then she has her thermometer reading the temperature and it was uh, 1200 degrees Celsius in that moment, which is absolutely in like, just, I don't have words for <laughs> how hot, but the boldness that they possessed to, to get that close in the name of not just science, but also that was, that was so thrilling to them that made them feel most alive. That was what was in touch, that, that brought them in touch with, with what felt like the most meaningful for them. Yeah, the science as well as living out their own philosophy um, towards living. And, and for us, it's spectacular in myriad ways. So that's a great opening to talk about them, Maurice and Katya uh, Croft. And their love of mm -hmm. volcanoes feels like it's only surpassed for, for their love of each other. And that the connection, the spark that, that brought them together, you can see it in the footage that we see of them, people talking about their connection. But it, yeah, just what a great pair of people to be together. Both of them seem fearless. I I think that you have to you had to be putting on a front at some point during all of this to be saying no problem. I'll stand here with a thermometer. I mean, it, it just it's unbelievable. Let's talk about them because they really are interesting people. Uh, let's talk about whoever Maurice or uh, Katya, whichever. Yeah, um, they were very much drawn together by the shared passion for volcanoes, um, but they had different ways of kind of pursuing their love and their science. Um, they were both absolutely bold, um, but had to reconcile fear in different ways, which they learned kind of early on in their career, even though they were constantly tested and constantly gaining more confidence. 
well as some healthy trepidation about how volcanoes work, how they erupt, where and where not to stand. Katia was a bit more of a methodological scientist in her approach. She was really drawn in by the power and danger of volcanoes in an attempt to really understand how that danger and that power functioned. Maurice was, was a bit more a bit more like a moth to a flame. Um, he just wanted to get as close as possible. He felt so utterly alive, Katia too, um, and close to a volcano, but um, there's some great quotes that we came across in our research where he would talk about, he would approach an erupting volcano with his scientific equipment, wanting to monitor and study, but the spectacle unfolding before him was just so awe-inspiring that he would fall to his knees and drop his scientific equipment. And, and it was more that he, that kind of being in touch with the, his, the fragility and the beauty of his own humanity that ended up taking precedence in that moment than actually like recovering the, the scientific information um, that he initially sought after. So they were both incredible scientists, of course, but it was this passion, this, this deep love obsession, um, enchantment really with you know, the forces of the planet that drove their their spectacular lives that, that they led. One of the things too, I, I think they, they were so playful. They were so funny. Yeah. Um, they really were so in touch with kind of the, almost like the absurdity of humanity. And I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that they were just always in touch with the forces of creation and destruction. <laughs> you know, um, there, there was such a perspective that they had, I feel like that the small petty things could could roll off because they knew, you know, if you could die at any moment, how do you want to live your days? How do you want to live this last moment? And that enables a sense of humor and wisdom all at once. But one of the things that was such a joy for us as, as the filmmaking team was getting to see just their, their banter with each other, their wittiness, as well as hearing stories from people who we interviewed um, for background on the film, who would talk, talk about how they built their networks, how they worked and collaborated with other people who lived in relationship with volcanoes in myriad ways. So they, they really were these kind of larger than life mythic characters that, that were beloved by, by many. Yeah, and I've got to believe that some of it, doing what they wanted to do all the time also would give you this sense of empowerment and joy and all the things that go along with that. And to be with somebody else who also wants to do that, all of those, all of those factors, it's, and before we get into the, their actual accomplishments as scientists, let's not, this wasn't just a, a daredevil stunt team here. These were people who were about figuring things out that no one really had tried to do on the scale that they did. Yeah. I just watching them. I mean, I was is enthralled by just seeing them together and in this footage as much as anything else, because knowing what we know about them, it was terrific. Let's uh, talk a little bit about their accomplishments and um, what they brought to the field. Sure. So Katya and Maurice were, were part of the early days of volcanology as a field. They were really coming up in, in the late 60s. In geology, there was really what was thought of as the, the plate tectonic revolution. This was a moment in, in history and in science where kind of these theories about how the earth was really formed were, were coming into kind of more public parlance. And it was thrilling for them to be a kind of part of that wave. There was very little uh, documentation, though, of eruptive phenomena, you know, of erupting volcanoes, of pyroclastic surges, of, of these very deadly forces, because, of course, it's so cumbersome, so difficult to get to these remote places with such heavy equipment. So um, their filmmaking, their photography really was science. It uh, allowed them to, to press, you know, an image to posterity in a way where it could be studied, um, unlike anything that had really happened on that scale beforehand. There, there were, of course, some scientists doing this work, notably a, a French volcanologist named 
to Afrun Taziev, who at first was their mentor and then actually later became their arrival. <laughs> but uh, they went closer to these volcanoes than um, uh, with photographic equipment than anyone else. Of course, people have been getting close to volcanoes throughout the millennia. But uh, the fact that they were able to capture this imagery, it was data that really did help to, to build the imagery uh, to study volcanoes. They also brought back samples from these remote places, which was incredibly useful for the burgeoning field. The other thing too that they did was they inspired so many other people to go into earth sciences. It's not uncommon for us to receive emails or Facebook messages from people who say like, oh, Captain Maurice Craft, I learned about them as a kid. I had their coffee table book as this little one. And I remember seeing like their images and that inspired me to become a volcanologist. Or um, they provided kind of that, that visual landscape that has enabled such curiosity. And, you know, that's different, of course, than some hard science, but I really do feel like they, they are to be credited with inspiring so many people to, to get into this field as well. And their research led to warning systems and that were have become more and more a part of the landscape. We see some of that technology playing out for earthquakes now, the sensors that are being placed around places that are prone to those kinds of earth activity. And Earth, you mentioned Earth sciences, right? So Yeah, exactly. They're, they were huge advocates for early warning science. And their imagery was a huge part of trying to teach people how to how to see them and how to identify them early on. There's a shot we have in the film of um, a pyroclastic surge, which is an extremely deadly, dangerous type of you know volcanic uh, hazard. They, they were able to capture a shot of that in 1986, and that went on to to be extremely useful in a video that ended up uh, being shown to officials in the Philippines, and they identified some of what they were seeing in, in from that video, uh, and were able to help people evacuate before Mount Pinotuba erupted in, in 1991. And that's just one example of the many examples of how their documentation of, of this, of these forces um, taught people uh, how to read and understand the landscape in a way that really could save lives. It's an amazing documentary film, truly. My congratulations to you. It is all of the things that you would hope for if you see it and you think, Fire of Love, hmm, do I want to watch it? Yes, you do. <laughs> you want to see it for a lot of reasons. Not the least of which, well, there's so many. I'm not going to try to identify one particular reason. In addition to it eventually becoming available through the National Geographic Nat Geo site, you can also see it starting on July 6th here in Los Angeles at the AMC Sunset 5. So that's a great place to see it. Great theater, great atmosphere. Uh, I, I love the narration by Miranda July. I thought that really worked. It really felt like a love letter to them in a way that the way that she uh, she was able to bring that into the project. The film is also 100% on Rotten Tomatoes, and it's an enthusiastic 100%. Also, before I let you go, Sarah, those uh, some of the films that you worked on that we've been fortunate enough to have on the program here, which Edge of Democracy, one of your, as a co-producer, uh, Becoming, uh, also with a couple other ones. You just have a wonderful resume, Groomed thought that was a terrific documentary film. Your work has just been, been fantastic. Continue your great work. It has been an honor and a joy to have you in this film on the program. So thank you so much. Thank you so much, Mike. It's such a joy to, to speak with you about the, the film. I really appreciate it. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. 
Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio. Thank you.